from the Alex Trebek stage at Sony Picture Studios, this is Inside Jeopardy! There he is, the man, the myth, the legend, Johnny Gilbert on the axe, welcoming us to another episode of Inside Jeopardy, an action-packed episode uh, today. This is your exclusive and official podcast destination for all things happening in the world of Jeopardy and Jeopardy Masters. I'm Michael Davies, joined today by Sarah Foss, mother. <laughs> yes, according <laughs> Lily to Lily. called us mother and father. And uh, Buzzy Cohen. Yeah, I guess I'm Uncle Buzzy in this situation. I'm not sure. I like it. If you can be uncle, father. you can be auntie. We're in the, we're, we're, we're in the Jeopardy Cousin safe Buzzy, space. Cousin Buzzy, who knows? Well, I don't know about the two of you, but I have still not come down from the high of Jeopardy Masters. Last week's semifinals, the finals, delivered all the feels, and I loved every moment of it. Everyone's listening. I know you already know. James Holtzauer, the first ever Jeopardy Masters champion. And so what that means is we have to recap and highlight these episodes for the very yeah. last time. I'm, I'm sad that it's over. Well, I think there's a lot of, of uh, a postmortem that I would love to hear, you know, now that we've gotten through where Jeopardy Masters is looking like it's going to be in the future in terms of what do we feel about the format. I know there have been questions about tiebreakers. I know there's been questions about the match point system. Uh, Michael, this is our first time getting to talk since Masters. Where's your head at? This feels like uh, I'm not even getting a chance to, like, bask in the glow of <laughs> masters doing so well immediately i have to defend the format and the tiebreakers and you and don't have to else. defend anything i just want to know like how <laughs> how you're feeling my nature is i don't look back which makes it very difficult for my staff who love doing postmortems. <laughs> i like looking forward and looking at the next thing but um look jeopardy masters was my dream it was my baby um it was every bit as good as I hoped it was going to be, uh, I think we can make it even better in the future. And I think that the biggest thing that helps events like this, dare I say institutions like this, um, get better is time. You know, history. Jeopardy Masters did come right out of the gate and it, it felt like something that had always been there. And that was something that it, it really was intended to feel like, but it hadn't always been there. I wish this had been going on for the last 40 years. It hasn't been going on for the last 40 years. and But I want it to continue for the next 40. And we've got to, therefore, you know, institutionalize it. You know, part of that is how we now build the pyramid, the pyramid that gets there. It means that next year, as was announced on the final episode, James and Matea and Matt will be back in Jeopardy Masters. We do not yet know who the three other masters who are going to be joining them. It will be, we've said, the winner of the TOC, and this is going to be a super competitive TOC yes. coming up. It will be uh, the winner of the JIT. We've never made the JIT before. I think the JIT is going to be its own beautiful event. And then there's going to be a producer's wildcard, uh, which gives us the ability to look at both, I imagine, the JIT and the TOC and maybe potentially other players and look to see who might be invited back to those fields. So it needs the pyramid. Um and then we need to really look at the lessons that we've learned from it. Some of the lessons are about, you know, the way we marketed and publicized and scheduled this along with ABC. Some of the discussion will be about the tournament format, but that will involve also how many episodes are we going to make next right. year? Is it going to remain 10 or could we get a few more episodes, which means that we can adjust the format a little bit and maybe play more 
I think we can all agree that the two-game total point affair worked brilliantly this time, but I would still love this to be a multi-episode uh, finals format. A, a GOAT-style um, finale, let's Yeah, call it. absolutely. Or new TOC-styles finale. So, And there are various other things. I mean, almost everybody's asking me about the reveal of the Daily Double. That almost <laughs> is the minor detail totally. that was done as a, yes. as a format give to ABC. You know, I'm sort of on the fence about it. It feels to me like a bit of a stage weight, to be honest. And it was my idea. Like, we don't really need it. I'd love it to be part of a companion app. Um, I think there's a big thing, and I've said this repeatedly. I've actually weighed in on a few discussions on social media about it. I think that we need to really look at the way, at the shot sequence of the selection of categories and then when how the clue then goes full screen and we either need to get the category on the full screen clue or we need to change the shot sequence so it's very clear from which category the clue is coming. I watched Masters usually in a in a communal setting with lots of other people and just I almost had to start shaking my head because what I heard again and again and again is what category what category are we in? Where are we? What was that about? <laughs> oh, why is it that answer? They just didn't really understand what was going on. And I think we need to do a better job of that for the audience. Or you need to just watch with smarter people. Now, these were pretty smart people, Buzzy. <laughs> these were, I didn't watch with my, uh, with, I uh, believe me, I have some pretty dumb friends as well. But I watched, I watched with my smarter friends, but they were watching through choice okay. and actually getting a lot, including some of the triple stumpers. Good for but them. they just feel that they get lost. And geographically, if I wasn't sitting in the studio looking at the game board, I'd be getting lost too. Well, it seems like a long time ago, Michael, when you first brought up Masters, really from the very beginning of you coming onto the show. And as one of the people who first heard about it and didn't know what it would be, one of those, I don't know what <laughs> voice you call me sometimes, but wow. You're a conservative voice. Yes. I sort of feel like you always supported this because you've always been on the side of our great players. And, you know, you told me you wait till you see James Holtzauer and experience him in the flesh. And I, wow, he blew me away. Um, as did all the masters, you know, Matea, who for a long time, I've been a great advocate of, um, and really felt that they had something special competitively as a competitor. I sort of recognized their competitiveness more than anything else. And wow, they really brought it and, and surprised a lot of people. And just then what many people have remarked on just the general humility and fraternity between these players and there was something about watching really smart people being really pleasant and really quick-witted and really positive on television that is very rare and it's very refreshing to see you know the other thing that you're kind of touching on too is that when we make Jeopardy a sport, we often think of the intensity of sports, but also that all of these things are games, right? And I think what we love about sports is when we see that joy of a player who is playing at the top of their game, but doing so having a ball, right? There are those players in all sports that we can rattle off where it's like, yeah, they were the best, but they also were having, you could tell they were having so much fun running in that field and i think you know, that was what yeah. we felt so much of like they were it's, just it, having fun it's amazing you said that because on the final day of masters when matea found out that they won the tie break and were going into the final over andrew and they embraced and they had that hug and they were both as i walked up to the stage afterwards they were both in tears it was a moment and i was reminded of the image of federer and nadal mm in London at the uh, Labour Cup 
when they were both sitting there on the bench holding hands, these two guys who have competed so hard against each other and yet love each other so much. And I think we all enjoy that in sport. That's something we relate to because most of us don't play professional sport. We, re- we relate to the sportsmanship so well. Um, as opposed to gamesmanship, which doesn't mean the same as sportsmanship, which is very odd. But yes, there was something beautiful about the way people competed. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm not even American, but very often I sit in my uh, chair uh, on that stage next to producer Sarah Foss, and I look around me at the staff, and I look at the people up on the stage, and I look at the material that they're asking, and I look at Ken, and I look at Mayim, and I'm actually proud to be American. And I'm not even American. I think that this show says the best of this country. Yeah. Well, it was an incredible ride. We're going to talk through these final games one last time. We also have syndicated Jeopardy, where Ben Chan's nine-game run came to an end. So let's cue the beep boops. Factors ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. When my schedule gets busy, it's nice to have pre-prepared, chef-created, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to my door. With over 35 different options a week to choose from and over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy with Factor. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Head to factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 and use code Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. That's code Jeopardy50 at factormeals.com slash Jeopardy50 to get 50% off. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Well, we kicked off the Masters semifinals with James, Andrew, and Matt competing in the night's first game. This was a close one. Until James found both daily doubles early in the double jeopardy round, wagering all the chips. And after a perfect 13 correct responses, he held a strong lead heading into final. All three players were correct, but it was James who secured the first semifinals win. Interestingly enough, this was only the second time in the whole Masters competition where James did not have a runaway. The last time also against Andrew and Matt. Yeah, Andrew, I have in my handy-dandy notebook, which I'll keep bringing up until Masters is done, come on, Andrew, you really felt in that double Jeopardy round like Andrew was trying just to do what he could to stay out in front, and the stats show it. Andrew with 22 buzzer attempts in that round compared to Matt's 18 and James's 17. James getting in on more of them, but it just goes to show how hard Andrew was really pulling and that he stayed within striking distance in spite of the fact that James basically put $12,000 on his score. Almost the difference between them was in those two daily doubles. So hat is off to Andrew. That was a hard fought. Didn't come out, but that was a really, really hard fought uh, game for him. Yeah, and 18 correct answers um, at the end of it. You're right, James. I I love that somebody... 
paraphrase Ken when he tells the audience to look away so they don't see the the place where the daily doubles are. <laughs> Somebody paraphrased it as as look away so you don't see where James is going to select his first uh, clue from, um, <laughs> uh, because he he seemed to find them with amazing, yes. remarkable regularity. Um, but yeah, brilliant game. And Matamodio comes out of this game, and again I say the most inconsistent <laughs> of the Jeopardy <laughs> Masters in terms of you know he can soar so high. He can he can also have games where he he sort of doesn't really play. It's a very he's a really mercurial, interesting Jeopardy player in that respect. Well, in this game, I just want to point out one area where Matt was consistent is his humor. He gave a little nod to Sam Buttry during the interviews. He called Ken Ken Jennings from the block. So you know Sam came up yeah. with all those names early on. Matt kept it going even after Sam had left the competition. Now in the second game of the night, James, Andrew, and Matea took the stage. This was a very strong game for Matea. They went on a tear in double jeopardy, finding both daily doubles, adding 12,600 points to their score, and taking an 8,000-point lead over James heading into final. Now, unfortunately, Matea was the only one who was not able to come up with the correct response, landing them in second place with one match point behind James, who you know, we only have four games in the semifinals. So with that second win, he clinched his spot in the finals. I just want to point out, this was the game where James wrote his name in Japanese. <laughs> okay, James. Okay. A little extra. A little extra something. Um, well, and Ken even commented on that. They're like, wow, they're going to let you do that in my day. Like, no, no. Yeah. They were very strict. Well, I was but... <laughs> asked. I didn't. I guess yes. I didn't know the precedent. I asked you, <laughs> yes. Are you okay with this? And, and I just like, said, yes, yep. I thought it was interesting. And it gave us a TV moment that's somewhat memorable. So I think it's a good decision. I mean, look, in this game also, I think that, you know, one point I wanted to make about Matea, the tragedy that befell Matea and their family uh, when they were here, before the last taping, before the semifinals and finals. Um, And came back this time uh, with their mom. It was so great to have her with us the entire time in the crowd. What a lovely, lovely woman. I know you spent a bunch of time with the Buzzy. Um, A really remarkable, remarkable woman. And um, she told me that Matea... (laughs) spends zero time and has spent zero time ever practicing for this show. They don't learn trivia. They don't read trivia books. They don't sit on the, you know, floor in the children's book department like James (laughs) and, 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 and read books. I had a brief exchange with Matea and a few of the other masters afterwards that just sent a message. Congratulations. Played great. I did say to Matea, if you have a million fans, I'm one of them. If you have a hundred fans, I'm one of them. If you have one fan, it's me. If you have no fans, it means I'm dead. That's what I said to Matea. And I really <laughs> felt that way. But Matea's response was, when I start making flashcards to study for Jeopardy, it's over for these motherfuckers. <laughs> well, this is what I'm so... So I refer to this final. Historic ships was the category. There are only so many historic ships. Totally. That's a series of flashcards. You know that there I've got the are... flashcards. The Mary <laughs> yeah. Celeste, the Endeavor, the Beagle. The Ark. We can almost go chronologically through them. And this is where Matea is a little... I mean, it just shows their potential... At 24 years old. At 24 years old as a Jeopardy master. Because everything that they know is from reading, sitting in front of a TV, watching movies, reading newspapers, 
and being around intelligent people. Yes. And so much Mr. and Mrs. Roach so involved in all of that and getting so much credit from from Matea for the role they've played, you know, through Matea's entire life educationally in this broad, broad liberal education. But my word, you are so right, Buzzy. Could Matea be scary oh my if God. the flashcards and, come you out? Know- it's interesting because in my notes on this game, in the Jeopardy round, I wrote, Matea is not finding the buzzer mojo. And we see that 22 attempts, but only seven uh, buzzes compared with the double Jeopardy round, only 16 attempts, but 12 of them successful. And my notes just are like, for double Jeopardy, Matea, go Matea. And that was an excellent example of using the Jeopardy round to help you dial in your buzzing for when it matters. Great point. Matea is a streaky shooter. Streaky when shooter. When Matea gets on a streak, James Holtzhaus said that yeah. to us in the interview that we had with him, uh, Sarah, afterwards. Yeah. He thinks that Matea is the toughest buzzer competitor that he's ever played against. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, when the timing gets on, very, very hard to beat. Well, in the post game chat, just after that game, Ken asked Matea, how do you do that? You know, how do you get into that rhythm? And Matea said that they just had one of those sync moments. And even though final didn't go the way they wanted, uh, Matea joked, you know, I can still say I was leading James Holtzauer going into final, which I don't think that has ever happened before. So they knew uh, just how great they were doing. I have to admit on a personal level, I was so moved by Matea when they started making that run. I was sitting next to you, Michael. I mean, I was tearing in my eyes because I just thought to come back and to play at that level and to know all the pressure and all that you have been through and to rise at that level I was just I was moved to tears and moving on <laughs> to Tuesday and Even the con- more tears more tears exactly <laughs> and the conclusion of the semifinals game one James Matea and Matt first game of the night although his spot in the finals was already locked in James did not let up. 23 correct responses, an 8,400-point daily double in double jeopardy, securing another runaway, his seventh of the tournament. Unbelievable. Just a shout-out to a classic of the Tournament of Champions, GOAT, all that, the before, during, and after category. Just so brutally wonderful. (laughs) I love the exquisite torture of a before, during, and after category. So thank you, uh, everyone at Jeopardy for bringing that to us again. And James did say, in preparing for Masters, he's like, there were things I knew you were going to do. Triple rhyme time and before, during, and after, and we delivered. <laughs> and that's something that uh, those wordplay kind of categories are definitely things where you saw the difference in quality of play with someone like Ken who just crushes those, and James who is not as strong, but I think with Ken out of this field, it gave uh, James more of a shot at those categories. James, as we saw, did very, very well in this game. And he had that confidence coming in. He put in his podium, his record, 8-1, 8 wins, 1 loss up until this point in the Masters. Of course, Ken had a zinger. Oh, James, it's a little better record than the last time I played you, you know, when I was the GOAT. And I'd also just like to point out that, unfortunately, Matt, you know, missing that second daily double of the Double Jeopardy round, had that had that gone uh, his way, we're looking at a 25000 to 17000 in second place, and all of a sudden, James is playing, 
and all three players are back in the game. So that is how quickly one clue could totally change the course of this game. If all three players are wrong, we've got a very, very different outcome here. Yeah, this was a very important match point for Matea, clearly, and was, in some ways, I would say, an important loss for Matamodio, because then going into the final semifinal, knew exactly what he had to do. Yeah. Um, and he needed a really good game. He responded in that post-game chat. You know, Ken asked, what are your predictions for the last semifinal game? And Matt said, I'm going to try to win. <laughs> so he knew what was at stake. Yeah, as Ma- as you mentioned, Matt is certainly more of an inconsistent player. But um, I do not have a good sports analogy for this year. But Matt wins when he- when it's really crucial. This happened in the round-robin games. Like when he needed to turn it on, he turned it on. And that happened again in the semifinals it's an interesting kind of approach I think he the added pressure which is interesting because he went on such a long run where there was really no pressure to keep going but I think the added pressure really brings a lot of focus to his play where sometimes he can seem a little in the weeds you know yeah staying in the world of tennis he's the Danil Medvedev okay of uh, of Jeopardy I like that well we are closing out the semifinals with Matea Andrew and Matt battling for those two remaining spots in the finals Andrew got out to an early lead in the Jeopardy round with the help of a big true daily double but Matt turned it on in double jeopardy he finds both the daily doubles in that round and he adds 19,200 points to his score securing a very important narrow runaway now Andrew had essentially locked up second place in the game putting him in a tie with Matea for semi-final match points which meant we were forced to go to the relevant tiebreaker total correct responses this was a dramatic moment. Matea prevails, having just five more correct responses than Andrew, 50 to 45. And after what has been an exciting semifinals, it's James, Matt, and Matea heading on to the finals. Yeah, this was really an incredible game, an emotional game. Matea, of course, actually talked about their father in the interview. That was very emotional. The tiebreaker situation was emotional. There was actually quite a long delay on the stage while producer Sarah and I made sure that we had the tiebreaker worked out and then made sure that Ken understood the reveal of that and yes. how to reveal it and only had one take because with a reveal like that you only have one chance to get it right because if you blow the reveal you can't go back and do it again and we knew it was going to be dramatic because we knew that Matea and Andrew hadn't quite counted exactly where they were at this point you know what I'd say about the tiebreakers it's been quite a lot of talk online about that I think if you actually go down the other tiebreakers, I think Matea would have won on Coriat. But I think it worked out pretty well. Obviously, they were even on the first tiebreaker, which was games one, which was zero at this point in because we reset all the numbers going into uh, going into the semis. In the end, watching Andrew not make the final, I mean, what a player. Really gained so many fans during this tournament. Somebody who, you know, was my dark horse going into the TOC last year, I really thought was going to compete very hard based on his stats and his ability. He is a guy who's learned a lot of trivia. Very smart guy, knows a lot, but has also learned a lot. And a a very young player also, and is going to be a major Jeopardy competitor for a very long time. Yeah, and even Ken really, you know, acknowledging that in the post-game chat, talking about Andrew's the one with that deep Jeopardy knowledge when there were clues that even Ken would come across and think, wow, these these are hard, these are high value clues. He always knew Andrew would probably be, you know, the person who could get those. I also wanted to go back to you and me and the double jeopardy round of this game. 
we were counting on our fingers because we knew how close it was as Matea and Ander were volleying back and forth with those correct responses. It was so exciting. Um, (laughs) We need to (laughs) make that change because we have the stats in front of us, but we don't have the the cumulative game. (laughs) um, game. So yes, you're right. We were counting on our fingers. It was incredible. And we do say goodbye to Andrew. But as you alluded to, Michael, he will be back in JIT along with Amy and Sam. And I think one of the best things that came out of this competition in these final matchups was being able to see those three in the audience supporting the other three who made it to the finals. And we should note for Amy and Sam, we taped these semifinals and finals on a separate date. So they made the choice to fly out. They knew they weren't competing, but they wanted to be in the front row to support their fellow masters and obviously their friends. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful stuff. All right. It is the finals and we headed into the first game with James, Matt and Matea. This was a tight game up until... You guessed it, James found the first of the two daily doubles in double jeopardy. No surprise, he goes all in, adding 8,600 points to his score. But Matea quickly found the second daily double in that round, and they followed suit. So taking a page out of James's book, Matea says, all in, all of it. And Matea even pushed their hands in as if they were doing the chips. You know, everyone's taken that Holtzauer move. Both James and Matea entered final with five-digit scores, All three of our Masters finalists were correct, but James heads into Game 2 with a 10,000-point lead over Matea. Now, this is where the two-game total point thing comes in because those of us who have been it know that the 10,000 points is really effectively Mm 5,000 points because of the ability to double up in the final of the next game. So while this looks like a big spread, it's actually much tighter as we see. I do want to shout out Mr. Andrew He with the tweet of the night probably. Spoiler (laughs) alert for Jeopardy! Masters, my son will avenge me. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. I thought it was great. One thing that was pretty exciting at the top of the finals is ABC encouraged us, Michael, to say all three of these finalists will be back next year for Masters. That yeah. was a pretty great vote of confidence early on in this competition that they wanted to make sure we included. So if that doesn't happen, Michael Davies' son will avenge him and find you. ABC Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I honestly don't ask me about my prognostication for the future of the entertainment business. I'm worried that the broadcast television will be out of business by the time we get to next year. But it was very nice of ABC to uh, let us say that. Well, we headed into the second game of the finals. James forming a small lead early on, but in double jeopardy, Matea found the first daily double. They went all in, scoring 7,400 points, taking a very significant lead over James. Now, Matt found the second daily double, effectively stealing it away from James, but he wasn't able to come up with the correct response. And by the end of double jeopardy, Matea had built a score that would have been a runaway if we were playing a single game. But this was a two-game total point affair, so it would all come down to the final, final Jeopardy of Masters. Now, factoring in their first game, Matea had the lead over James. Matea wagers enough that, if correct, Matea locks up the win. But James opted for the lower wager, a common move when wagering from second place. All three players incorrect which gives James a combined score of just over 2,000 points more than Matea, and James wins. 
Matea made exactly the right wager. James made exactly the right wager. Now, I'm going to roll back the clock. We're going to hop in the Wayback Machine to 2019, James's <laughs> original one. And when Emma Betcher was in the lead going into final, James played this exactly this way. He figures Emma is going to play to cover. I'm going to play so that if we're both wrong, I win. And people gave James a lot of flack uh, that he threw the game, et cetera, et cetera, which of course is absurd. Yes. However, you see here the other version of that playing out. This is how James plays from second place, and it is, you know, worked out this time, didn't work out in the past, but it is really a, a very, very smart way to play from second. And James admitted he was really happy he didn't find that daily double that Matt found because had he uncovered it, he would have bet 22800 and he would have been down to zero, not even in contention. At the end of this, look, Matea played a superb final. On another day, Matt could have played a superb final and, and been right there, had a better time on the buzzer. But the best player won Jeopardy Masters and the best player through the course of the entire event was James Holzer. Well, even James went on Twitter and said, in the 50-plus games... I had never once felt absolutely frazzled, completely unable to ring in, merely spectating as an opponent takes over the game until Matea Roach did it this week, twice. Matea's performance would have been unbelievable in the best of times, considering everything they went through this month. This was the gutsiest Jeopardy achievement since Cindy Stoll's, an absolute star-making masterclass in how to play the game. For those of you who don't remember Cindy Stoll, she was our 2016 competitor who came on the show with stage four cancer, won six games, actually passed away before her games ever aired, and would have qualified for our TOC. So I think, you know, praise from James. He knew just how much against the ropes Matea put him. Yeah. And I just want to bring up one other highlight in this game, and that was the Michael J. Fox category. Uh, I've had a lot of highlights in my career at Jeopardy, but getting the chance to shoot this with him was inspiring. He is a legend, and he lived up to all the hype in this category. He even went on his Instagram and shared a photo of himself. He's in Vancouver wearing his Jeopardy hat. He said, heaven, what is Vancouver? Hashtag Jeopardy Masters. So love it when the Jeopardy merch is out on celebrities like Michael yeah. J. Fox. Any final thoughts, Michael Davies? Look, I feel really proud of the job that the staff and crew did in very trying circumstances. You sort of referenced earlier some of the issues we had in production, and we got through it. I'm so proud of all six of these masters. I think they are just extraordinary humans above all else. Delighted to have witnessed that amazing final and James Holtzauer winning the whole thing. We have a a true master, a true great holding our inaugural title. I think it's wonderful. I can't wait to do it again next year. We will go back despite my um, uh, uh, forward thinking nature. I guess part of that is I do have to look back and think about things that we can improve. We have had questions. I believe you've got a question uh, later, which you guys can address because I've got to hop off and deal with some other business about the scoring format. I feel like one of the things that really did work, and I wasn't sure about, I just wanted to be, sometimes you have to go forward with certainty, even when you're not sure about it, but you've got to be certain because you've got to lead a lot of other people who may not be certain, but you've got to, you know, lead with certainty around a scoring format. I thought that the three one zero really worked. I don't think you should get two points for finishing second on Jeopardy. 
which is just only one less than finishing first. I think there should be a, a major advantage. And I think that three therefore works. It's what, you know, soccer did around the world starting in the 1980s. They they moved up from, from two points for a win to three points for a win, one point for a draw, zero for a loss. And I think it worked really well. Um, we'll look at it, of course. We'll run some models. We'll look at how it affected the competition. But I felt that the score format worked. And I think anything that tries to even it up too much... Yes, I understand it will keep everybody in contention longer, but I think that takes away what we love about sports, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And the agony was felt, you know, and Amy and Sam, heartbroken not to be. They came down and visited again. They were heartbroken not to make the semifinals and not to make the finals. Um, But that agony, I think, will end up making them better players in JIT and in future Masters tournaments. So those are my final thoughts, but really proud more than anything else of the staff. In addition to the $500,000 prize, the Trebek Trophy, Jeopardy, as we've mentioned, donating $100,000 in honor of a charity important to our champion. James picked a charity he has often supported, Project 150 in Las Vegas. And I am happy to report that I've already heard Project 150 is going to be able to offer 40 scholarships based on that $100,000 prize. So more good going out into the world. We love it. And that wraps up Jeopardy! Masters. Congratulations again to James. And in case you missed it, you can head to our YouTube channel and watch the interview that Michael and I did with James right after he was crowned the champion. All right, now let's dive into the top moments from last week's shows in syndication. Hi, I'm Buzzy Cohen. You've heard me on Inside Jeopardy, breaking down stats, analyzing contestant plays, and reviewing key moments from recent games. Well, I'm hosting another Jeopardy podcast, but this one's a little bit different. Think less sports, more history. We'll be taking you on a journey from Jeopardy's beginning in the 1960s through the Alex Trebek years to its current day super champs. For the last 60 years, we've been watching one show. Hear how it all came together on This Is Jeopardy the story of America's favorite quiz show. Out now from Sony Music Entertainment and Sony Pictures TV. We kick off Monday with the return of eight-day champion Ben Chan going up against Joe Lacer and Nancy Duran. Ben showed no signs of rust after his weekend off, catching fire early and cruising into his, this is unbelievable, his ninth straight runaway win. Well, there are a lot of ways in which Ben and I are different, but one in which that we are the same is that I also won my ninth game in a runaway, and I think that's where the similarities in our gameplay end. Maybe not the ninth straight, but your ninth game was a runaway. That's right. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. I just right. want to clarify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move right on to Tuesday. Yeah. Ben returned, going for a tenth win against Danny Lesserman and Lynn DeVito. There were no signs of Ben slowing down in the Jeopardy round. Despite him missing a big $4,200 true daily double, Ben took a strong lead in double Jeopardy, but he was iced out by Lynn on the first eight clues of that round. Ben finds the second daily double, couldn't come up with the correct response. Lynn just continued to chip away at the lead and found herself within striking distance, something no one else had been able to do during Ben's run. So for the first time in his 10 games... Ben does not have a runaway in final Jeopardy, and unfortunately, it was a triple stumper. Lynn wisely 
did a low wager. She comes in from second place to give her an unexpected come from behind win. You know, I just want to comment really quickly that now with Lynn and with what happened with James in Masters, I think there's sort of mm-hmm. a, a received wisdom that from second place you kind of want to bet it all to try to try to win. But I think we're seeing, oh, sometimes second place there's a little more strategy you can play when you're in that position. So, Michael, before you go, I know that you want to comment on this very controversial, some say, final Jeopardy ruling. Let's remind everyone the category Shakespeare's characters. Both of the names of these two lovers in a Shakespeare play come from Latin words for blessed. Correct response, of course, who are Beatrice and Benedict. First, a little fun inside Jeopardy uh, fact. I was the understudy to both Benedict and Beatrice in a uh, middle school production of Much Ado <laughs> About Nothing. Uh, fortunately, uh, for everyone involved, I never got to actually play either role. Um, so for me, this was this was one of those times when I know what Shakespearean English, I know enough about certain categories, I know enough to be dangerous. My brother was an English literature scholar at Cambridge, and um, I I know just enough about Shakespeare to be a little bit dangerous. And I know a lot about alternate spellings, because it exists across uh, the folios and across, uh, across his work and across various productions and reproductions of Shakespeare's work over time. So the moment it happened, I turned to Billy, our head writer, and I said, are we good? Are we good, Benedict? This is what it is, right? And he was like, yes, 100%. It's in the folios. It's the original thing. Bam. And I was still concerned enough afterwards because just by doing just sort of a casual online search, and that wouldn't be how we ever research a genuine answer on Jeopardy on a casual online search. But in doing it, I saw Benedict enough in certain uh, publications of the play, nothing that would be a very formal or very uh, reputable production of the play, but I saw it in enough that I thought, okay, this is this is at least a question. We assembled a panel of scholars. We went to that panel of scholars. We asked their opinion and got their opinions before we made the judgment. Ultimately, the judgment was made on the simple basis that the references that we use within Jeopardy and have always used within Jeopardy, starting with the folios and going into the into the, the various publications, the editions that we use of the plays, all uniformly refer to this character as Benedict and not Benedict. And I think Ben actually said himself that he kind of knew that he just got his flashcard wrong and, and wrote something down wrong. And, and But, you know, got in contact with us afterwards. We looked into it, as we always do. We knew that this was a big moment. He's a great player. This was a big moment in final. We looked into it, but I'm very secure. And have we been backed up by various luminaries as the Jeopardy fan and others across social media? Um, I think we know we got this one right. As you mentioned, Michael, first of all, in the post-game chat, Ben said, I'm wondering if I made a bad flashcard at some point. So he did acknowledge that, you know, sometimes you get those flashcards going, you go a little too fast, you leave off a T or change a name, perhaps. Then on Twitter, Ben added, if we could go back in time, maybe the judges could have okayed Benedict as a historically acceptable alternative form of the name. But they wouldn't have to because I'd just write the indisputable, correct response, Benedict. And he also added one more very important thing. My wife knew it was Benedict. So I'm sure Ben's wife had a lot to say to him when he came home, ending his run 
by the incorrect addition of the letter T. Well, let's talk about Ben Chan. I know he's not in games one necessarily at the top of the leaderboard, but in terms of power rankings, he's got to be up there. Sarah, do we happen to have any wrap-up stats on Ben Handy? You know we do. Nine wins, nine runaways, a first in Jeopardy history. The first time anyone has had their first nine games be a runaway, we should say. You know, James and Ken had nine game runaways, you know, along their run, but never hit the ground running like Ben did. Eight out of ten correct in Final Jeopardy. That he, is huge. He didn't even need those finals, yeah. <laughs> except for on this last one, and yet still so able to come up with the correct response. He wasn't doing any joking. You know, a certain Buzzy Cohen in a runaway situation may want to put something fun down, but Ben, he wants to put down the correct response in final. Ben and I had different objectives Okay, being on the show, but we'll talk about that another That's time. another day. Average correct response is 28. Very impressive. Very high. And his average winnings per game, $25,260. Now, another fun fact I want to point out. Ben, he played at all three podiums. That's only happened one other time that I can remember. And why that happened for Ben is, of course, he started out in the third podium. He wins. Then he has to go home. Then when he comes back, Hannah was a returning champion. He was the co-champion. So he gets put into the second podium. And then, of course, ends his run in the first position as the champion. Last time this happened, Buzzy? Mm. Zach, Zach Newkirk. Newkirk. Yes. Playing against Brian Chang. So Zach Newkirk has also done the round robin of podiums. I also want to just point out a fun a fun new thing we did with Ben Chan's run, and that was a little segment we called How Did You Know That? Mm. Our brilliant Jeopardy writers, uh, Billy Weiss, one of our head writers, came to me and he said, you know, We've kind of been noting some of these difficult clues that Ben Chan was able to respond to correctly. We thought it would be fun to ask him, how did you know that? So we did just that on this day after Ben's run came to an end. You can see that video on YouTube. And this is something that we will hope to continue with future champions because it really is interesting to find out how they knew that. Whenever I had a fun reason I knew something, it was always Star Trek. So I was like, oh, yeah, there was a Star Trek episode where they did this. Anyway, let's go on to Wednesday. Didn't come up for how Ben knew things. But, you know, that's where you guys differ. Again, another thing. This is what makes horse races. (laughs) Let's move on to Wednesday, please. On Wednesday, Lynn returned to face Ed Peterson and Joyce's son. Ed ended the Jeopardy round with zero dollars, but he was able to work his way back into second place in double Jeopardy. Again, final was a triple stumper. And just like the previous game, Second place, that position really benefited. Ed sneaks in with a come-from-behind win. And we head into Thursday with Ed going up against Jesse Chin and Megan Brott. Ed and Jesse both entered Final Jeopardy with five-digit scores. Always very nice to see. Third place, Joyce, also in contention. All three of our players came up with the correct response. And it's Jesse who walks away with the win. And we wrap up Friday, closing out the week. Jesse going up against Deandra D'Alessio and Alice Ciciora. Jesse and Deandra battled through the Jeopardy round, heading into double Jeopardy less than $1,000 apart. Alice mounts an impressive comeback in the double Jeopardy round, managing to take a small lead going into final. Whew, final, another triple stumper. Deandra, who was actually in third place, made the smallest wager, squeaked out with a come from behind. The third one this week. Wow. Well, looking forward to seeing Deandra back on the show on Monday. And we'll get to see Jesse and Champions Wildcard. 
All right, well, that is it for our gameplay highlights. Congratulations again to Ben Chan on that very impressive nine-game run. What do you say? Some viewer questions? Let's do it. Dan asks, hi, IJ team. Oh, the Dan. IJ team. Yeah. That's us. IJT. From an upcoming contestant, 622-23 air date, given the outcome in Masters Finals Game 2 leading into Final Jeopardy, do the contestants see the Game 1 scores when making their Final Jeopardy wager? This is a great question. And yes, we know our contestants are great at math, but we do give each of them a note card. It not only indicates what their score was from the first game, but also their competitors so that they can do the math and know exactly what they're you know, hoping to accomplish, whether they're going for the small wager, as we saw James did, or whether they're betting to cover. Like They have paper, they have pencils, they have the numbers, they can crunch it all. For five minutes. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to say that I actually, because my note card had me in, in my Tournament of Champions, which was also a two-game format, uh, had me at zero, and I came back and won that, and I said, can I keep this note card? And I did, and it's a little piece of memorabilia for me about never giving up and, uh, you know, that anything can happen and to believe in myself. I love that. I always use you as an example. Anything can happen. Anything can in happen. In a two-game total point affair. You know, you could be down, you could have zero dollars and end up co-hosting a podcast with Michael Davies and Sarah Wickham Foss. Anything can happen. Well, How could you be so lucky? I know. <laughs> Helena asked the question that Michael sort of um, addressed earlier, which yes. was, you may but probably not have seen my Twitter questions about the 310 score format, including my wish that instead be 321. I would love to know the reason for this existing score format um, and what you think about the 321 proposal for future use. Well, I think Michael did cover it. Obviously, he had to jump out of the pod. But I personally, when he first brought up this format, I, I did question it a bit. Mm -hmm. But I think as we saw in Masters, it played out very well. And I think it was just the right amount of value to give to the various scenarios. Three for a winner, one for second, zero for third. You know, there's no scoring for coming in third. That's right. And also, you know, I think this is feels like it's in the same category as the people who think that even if you don't win whatever you earn on the show you could go home with and I think it really changes the metrics for how you play and we want to see people playing their heart out and leaving it all out there you know let's say you have two players with big scores going into final they might say oh well I'll get $20,000 or $15,000 even if I don't win so why risk any of it I'm happy to get the 15 grand that's not the kind of play we want to see and especially with the Masters. Absolutely. Well, that wraps up today's show. Listeners, thank you for joining. We'll be back next week for more gameplay highlights. As always, subscribe to the podcast, rate us, leave us a comment, share across social, and follow us at Jeopardy on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and on TikTok. And send us your questions to Inside Jeopardy Podcast at gmail.com. We'll see y'all next week. Yeah.